well, well. Chandler, today we have some truly gruesome content to go over. The topic is not quite our usual fodder. Before we get into truly very gruesome content, exactly like you said, I need to tell you a quick story that I've been dying to tell you. Oh, please. Okay. It took everything in me not to tell you first thing when I woke up this morning because I had a little bit of a funny experience um, on Facebook Marketplace. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Guys, it doesn't matter how much Chandler climbs the corporate ladder at whatever tech behemoth she's working for. She will still be sourcing all of her clothing, yeah. furniture, sanitary items from Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> sanitary items. Okay, like you're literally a grocery store wayfinder. <laughs> all of her feminine hygiene products. Disgusting. <laughs> let me just let me just set the scene because we have a lot to get into today, but I just need to tell you this story quickly. Okay. Um, I, I was selling a spine bookshelf, okay? I bought this spine bookshelf with Ben and I moved in together over the summer. What's a spine bookshelf? It's like one of those freestanding bookshelves where it like, just look it up, okay? People who know, you know, anything about anything will recognize that this is just, you know, a very standard bookshelf that is... It's like one of those Ikea pieces of crap that's like has an empty back. You know, I actually kind of prefer to uh, buy used pieces of Ikea furniture on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> this, I don't know where these or, the origin story of this one was because I bought it off Marketplace. Anyways, when I bought it off Marketplace, I went to, you know, a lady's apartment. I walked inside. I was kind of okay. disoriented because she seemed like a hoarder. And she said, here's the, here's the bookshelf, you know, just tighten the screws a little bit and it will be straighter. It'll stand up straighter. And Ben and I are like, okay, whatever. It's fine. I pay her for it. I bring it home. We tighten the screws. Doesn't really help all that much. Okay. Okay. So then I, I kind of then have this like, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a lemon bookshelf, but it's fine. It works fine. You know, also to some people, maybe they don't notice that it's saggy. Can I just say for people who don't know what a spine bookshelf is, and I just looked it up, it's a bookshelf where it's basically like a strip of wood or some sort of material Mm -hmm. that runs up a wall. And then it's like you'll have like three books stacked on each that has its own little shelf. I mean, it's pretty sleek, right? It's pretty sleek. Yeah, it actually does look relatively cute. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I offered it to all of my friends for free and everyone said no, which I did take <laughs> personal offense at. Um, anyways, so I listed on Marketplace for $100, all right, uh, a couple okay. weeks ago because Ben's like, I really don't like this. It doesn't really like look great in our place. And I'm like, that's totally fine. Let's let's try to get rid of it. I listed on Marketplace for $100. It sits there. It gets a little bit of traction. People are offering me far below, you know, what I've Oh, gosh. On. Yeah. At last, at long last, someone offers me the, a full $100. Mind you, I've taken present day photos of it, okay? Oh, wow. So it's a really great listing. As I'm opposed show- to just- well, I- you know, I'm just showing everyone that like it, as it is, you know, I'm not trying, there's no movie magic happening with this. Mm, okay? Okay. Okay. So anyways, let's just cut to the chase. This man offers me a full value for it. And I'm like, great. When can you pick it up? Okay. And I okay. just feel like there's an unspoken rule on Facebook Marketplace where it's like you list something and you just kind of get it in the condition you get it in. Okay. Like you're just not supposed to ask too many questions. Correct. Correct. And, you know, I just feel like this is just like the gray area of human dealings and, you know, of buying used furniture. Anyhow. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, right? anything under $400 that you get from yes. Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, it's just like put up and shut up. You're just yes. going to take the photos unless it's like slashed and completely otherwise. Right. Unless it's not functioning. Yeah. Like you have, there's a 20% margin of 
errors or issues right. or deterioration from the photos okay. to in real life. Right. Okay. So let me just set the scene. The man right. is coming to my place. He's going to meet me. Um, I bring it down to the lobby for him. Okay. Um, at this point, you know, I see him approaching. He's wearing a craftsman vest that looks like he, I don't, it kind of looks like he might be like an Eskimo of some sort, not like because it's so big and warm, but just because it's like, looks so handmade. Right. Okay. And he just has like, he, he has a different presence about him I'll say and I kind of hurriedly I'm like here's the shelf you know I'm like you might try to tighten the bolts and he hands me the cash and then I'm like all right I'll be on my way and then he says to me be well and kind of bows a little bit great beautiful (laughs) I will tell you that there was a small gong that hit in in my head okay because I just had this feeling that I was dealing with someone who was more karmic than the average person on Facebook marketplace okay because he said, be well to me, you know, like, I just was like, huh, that's an interesting greeting. And I think I felt a little bit of guilt, too, that I was giving him the bookshelf that maybe wasn't pristine. OK. Oh, because did you not note in the listing that it was leaning? Of course not. I didn't lo- note in the listing. That's for everyone with their two eyes to see. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's like read the photos. It's photos like worth a thousand photos, words. A thousand words. Adjust your expectations. Make me an offer. He made me an Absolutely. offer at full price. Okay. Oh so, gosh. I'm so, so anyways, okay. when, he, when he said be well, I really swear like to you that a gong like hit in my head and I was just like, huh? I was like, I don't know that this is going to end well because he just seems like <laughs> someone who's like pretty authentic and like, you know, someone who's more karmic, cosmic, whatever. Okay. Can I just say something? Yeah. When someone says be well, yeah, they might as well be announcing they just went to some sort of like buddhist retreat silent retreat that they just did ayahuasca Mm -hmm. oh ayahuasca i almost think the phrase be well is kind of like a flex it's like i'm very evolved and you're gonna know that by my salutation it was literally like all is right with me in the universe i hope everything (laughs) will be right with you in the universe okay it gets better okay so i you know i have this moment where i'm like i don't feel great about that but like whatever he saw the photos i wasn't there was no movie magic as i said before okay so then I receive a message that I don't see until hours later. Okay. This is from him. He says, Hey there. Thanks for the easy (laughs) handoff and everything. I just tightened all the screws and a bunch of them are stripped. This is a pretty sacky spine. And then he says, obviously you don't want it back, but I feel like I spent a hundred bucks on a broken thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Here we go. He says, I don't really know what he means in this first sentence, but he says, I'm not mad. And the caveat emptor phrase goes to me. I ascribe zero malice here. Wait, okay. wait hold on. The caveat emptor phrase. Can you spell the words you're trying to read? Yeah. So it's, I am not mad at the caveat emptor phrase. I don't know what emptor phrase means. I don't know if he was trying to say something else. Okay. Caveat emptor phrase meaning let the, oh, this is a whole Chandler. This is a whole thing. Learn it gets this so is not much a typo. <laughs> this is let the buyer beware. Oh my god! Uh, it's a, a Latin like phrase Latin. that means let the buyer beware. <laughs> Caveat emptor phrase. Who are we dealing with? It gets so much better. So I'm not mad, and the caveat emptor phrase goes to me. I ascribe zero malice here. I bring this up to. The- <laughs> I bring this up and to ask simply, Dash, can you do anything? And quote, no, I can't is a real answer that I'm prepared to accept. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
wow, this guy just wants you to feel like the piece of trash you are. Oh, I have never felt smaller in my entire life. (laughs) So then I'm just like, uh, I immediately like start to feel like I did my homework wrong. My teacher's mad at me. Like the, the hypervigilance sets in the, everyone hates you. You're a dishonest person. Okay. Yeah. You know, moms, is it worth the celestial kingdom sets in. Uh, yes. Um, yes. So then I say, hey, sorry, I am just seeing these. I am sorry the screws are stripped and I didn't know that. I don't, I don't really know what that phrase means totally. I honestly so, don't know what screws being stripped means. It's a phrase I've heard a few times, but right. go ahead. And like, yeah, exactly. I'm just going to claim ignorance on that one. Um, but then I just say I am happy to pay you back because I just feel like the omen is too great. We then go back and forth and he says he has PayPal, but not Venmo. I PayPal the guy and... He says, thank you. Blessings on your road. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. You could have just easily said, I'm sorry that you didn't review the photos with with a degree of, you know, precision. Right. For a man well aware of caveat emptor phrase. Right, right. (laughs) However... I am prepared, you know, to bring down the price by half right. in order to compensate for the extra lean not anticipated. I'm shocked I know. that such an enlightened individual, a beweller, a blessings on thy road right, right. accepted, accepted the full hundred back. I know. He didn't even try to counter say, oh, you know, just give me back 50 or 25. Okay. I have an idea. I got played. But yeah, I think we, you should send him a new, a new message <laughs> 24 <laughs> hours be later. Like, I have been thinking a lot about <laughs> on my road <laughs> while on my I've road. Been, I've been on my road <laughs> and I've been blessed with a few additional thoughts. <laughs> blessed as I am on my road. <laughs> I have been thinking of you and I would like for you to consider PayPaling yep. me back for half of the product <laughs> because you did still receive a bookshelf. Right, he still got like as it might. He still got wood, you know, yes. materials from me, raw materials. Exactly, and I would say, no, I can't. Is an answer I'm willing to accept. <laughs> <laughs> Be well. Be and well. Just see what he says. Just see what I know he says. I no, honestly, we're not going to get into all this, but I do believe in karma, and I do think that I was blessed today on my road. And I think we pop apologists should incorporate blessings on your road more. So Chandler, I did not have even somewhat of a similar interaction, but I had something in the same wheelhouse happen to me recently. Okay, You actually did. So I, I put up like 10 things on Poshmark. Everyone can hit up my Poshmark. It has some cute stuff on it right now. Yeah. Rubber's hitting the road for us in Q1. Just everyone. Exactly. Trying to get back in the black. And so I get a comment on my Poshmark. That's like, I want this immediately. Please email me like with their email address, you know, for a direct transaction, which I'm always a friend of. So anyway, so I say, hi, it's available. Thanks. So then I get an email back from Mariana Wilson with a photo. This person looks very reputable. 
She says, mm. thanks for your response. I'm really interested in buying it from you. And please note, I will overnight the payment ASAP. But I will be paying with a cashier's check or money order from my bank. Mm. And it will be delivered to you via UPS courier service the next 24 hours. And also, I will arrange for the shipping as soon as you deposit the check through your mobile bank app or ATM and it clears your bank. Also, you don't have to release the item until you get your money at hand. Please get back to me with your full name to be on the check, your mailing address, cell number, and asking price for the purchase. I'm offering an additional $50 with the original price to have this ASAP. I'm completely satisfied with it, and the payment will be delivered within 24 hours. Payment will be mailed out immediately. I don't know where the scam is here, because obviously this is a scam. So if anyone has been scammed by one of these Poshmark people, please let me know. I said, Mariana, what kind of scam are you running here? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm genuinely curious. Like, No one on the internet is doing you any favors. No one in any type of like online commerce spot is doing you any favors and offering you additional money for something. No, and but the thing the strange thing is is you just have to send them your full name, your address, your cell phone number, and the money, the amount you want, which seems like all readily available information online. I suppose. And then they'll mail you a check. You don't have to mail it out till you get the check. If anyone knows how this scam actually works and how they actually get you, please write in. Is there any way that somehow the DM check us actually doesn't deposit money into your account but it retrieves money from your account is that possible i don't think chill i don't think there are retriever <laughs> checks okay i think we I think would there know might be. i think mariana could be running that scam we would know much all too we would be all too wary of retriever checks <laughs> anyway there was also another thing where i thought i was getting scammed in saint bart's but that's a whole other story but i'll tell i'll tell that i'll save that on the patreon okay but chandler let's move forward to the contents of the episode that was great I do feel like karma came back for me today in other ways. And so, yeah, my road has been blessed. I'll say it. Well, do you know whose roads were not blessed? Decidedly, horrifically. Yes, that's right. Let's get to the meat of the episode. We are here to discuss the University of Idaho murders. Chandler, have you been following this like religiously like everyone else? Or were you like me and kind of just like, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. Um, no, I've been following this. I will say, I, I don't know that I'm an expert on this, but I have consumed quite a lot of content about it. I think there are so many experts on it, like on TikTok and everything that like, I've just kind of been like, you know, consuming the information, consuming as it's come across. But I have definitely been following this. Like, I remember when it happened. I remember kind of thinking like, wow, they're taking a really long time to figure out who did this. And then I, yeah. I, I probably was Googling every few days, like, you know, Idaho murders, like updates. And you know, your brother-in-law, his fiance, Kim, who we know and love, uh, she has been following very closely. And so her and I were talking yes. a lot during Christmas about it. So I have an entire report to share with you today on these murders. Mm-hmm. We're going to go through exactly why this has captured the attention of the nation. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the way that this report is really going to unfold and the way we're going to discuss this is how people found out about everything. Right. So like, as we mm-hmm. start kind of sharing we're not going to get to the details that have recently come out until the end right right um, because that will kind of explain why i think there was so much suspense and it was yep. so chilling right right um Fair? yeah and i've i've even uncovered some new tidbits in the last hour that i had not never heard before okay did you see the text message that kagan sent me that i posted on instagram about clean simple eats he said sos we are out of the chocolate flavor of clean simple eats which by the way i really didn't know that we could get it for free so i've been paying full price and just ordering because i literally am a paying customer of this company clean simple eats everyone 
is the purveyor of the best protein powder on the planet. And can we just say, we've had some people get converted to the religion of clean symbol eats and they have messaged us saying you were right. It is so delicious. It will make milk taste like chocolate milk. If you get the brownie batter, or, you know, I love to put oh. the vanilla in a fruit smoothie. You just, you can't go wrong. You can't mess it up either. I would say you, it is so good. Someone texts me. They're like, does it have a weird aftertaste? I'm like, no, this is clean this is simple eats. It tastes like melted ice cream, just mixed in cold water. And it's made from clean grass fed, perfect ingredients. Mm hmm. What yeah. more do you people want? What more do you out want? Of this world? What more do you want? Yeah. I don't know. Cleansimpleeats.com, everyone. Go try the vanilla, try the chocolate. Use our code Pop Apologist for 10% off. We love the sponsor. I'll be drinking Clean Simple Eats on my deathbed. I hope so. All right, you guys. A quick announcement. We are running in March a $500 shopping spree giveaway. Very exciting. And to enter, all you have to do is recommend the podcast on your Instagram stories, tag us and include a link for your followers to easily tap and listen to your favorite mm -hmm. episode of the podcast. Mm -hmm. We ask that you only do this if you would actually share the pod, you know, with your friends on your story. You know, this is this is a giveaway um, of authenticity, if you will. Um, we also ask in that same spirit that you don't mention that it's a giveaway. Exactly. Please share the pod, share it on your stories, get the word out, spread the good word of Pop Apologists. Make sure to tag us. We'll see it. We'll respond that you're entered. And then we're going to pick one person at random and they'll win $500 to go to town with. So right. enter this month in March, you guys. Shopping spree giveaway. Okay. Well, let's get into it. So this, this crime began after midnight on Sunday, November 13th, when four University of Idaho students were found stabbed to death in their apartment. Their names are Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, Ethan Chapin, and Zaina Kernodal. They were all students at the University of Idaho, and they all lived in a nearby off-campus residence in mm -hmm. Moscow, a college town of about 25,000 people. Chandler, I have to tell you, when I first was reading about this, I definitely was relieved to find out that this was that Moscow was the name of the town in Idaho because I fully did think that the murderer was from Moscow. That's how out oh of the, the loop I've been. I've been like, wow, my like my Russian friends cannot catch a break these days. First Ukraine, next University of Idaho. Like, what is gonna happen next? For a split second, I'm like, who are your Russian friends? You don't have any Russian friends. But then I, I realized actually you do were... have Russian friends. Okay. Okay. This crime absolutely rocked the small college town and had people in fear because not only because of the brutality of the murder, but also because of the lack of arrests and suspects. And I think, too, there was just no real clear like idea of how these people were connected other than the fact that they were like roommates and like loosely friends. Some of them, yes. some of them are closer friends, obviously, but it was just like, it just felt so completely random. And then I think, you know, it was also just like four people in a house where two others were spared or something like that. Like it just felt like pretty gruesome and also completely random and just nonsensical. I honestly think violence, like in the middle of the street, like outside of a home is totally different than finding out that's like someone has been murdered in their home in your community right. like that right. just makes you so feel someone safe where you live so i can imagine this really shook up the community of moscow and it definitely yeah. I, 
Yeah. That I can imagine. It definitely did. Um, so here's a little bit about what happened the night of the murders. So on Saturday, November 12th, the hours before the attack had been a normal Saturday night of partying for the four victims. Ethan and mm-hmm. Zana, they were a couple. They attended a fraternity party. Kaylee and Madison had gone to a bar and stopped by a food truck on their way home to their house on King Road. They ordered food and, about, and waited about 10 minutes chatting with other people in line while they waited. There did not seem to be anything suspicious going on at this time, and the girls did not seem to be in distress or danger. Everyone was home. All the victims were home by 2 a.m., and most were asleep by 4 a.m. on Sunday, November 13th. So at noon Sunday, a call Mm -hmm. comes in to 911 about an unconscious person at an off-campus residence. At the time, police did not say who called 911, but it was later reported that one of the surviving roommates made the call to 911. And, you know, at the time this was reported – no one knew who actually made the call. Um, yeah. The two surviving roommates were not named as suspects. So officers arriving found the door to the residence open and discovered the bodies of four fatally stabbed students. There was no sign of forced entry or damage, which means that there was likely an unlocked door or window. It is mm-hmm. not known exactly at this time when the killer entered the home. The victims were found on the second and third floors of their home. The two other roommates who were unharmed were on the first floor. Yep. Okay. Should I move forward to the investigation? Yeah. Let me make a quick distinction about that. So the other roommates were who were unharmed were on the first floor of a home. They actually were not. They Both of them did not actually live on the first floor. I think that's just maybe where they were like when the police arrived or something. Gotcha. We find okay. out more in the affidavit. Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, So a lot of the things, yes, that we're that right now are enigmatic, mysterious, we don't know, will be uncovered as this continues. Correct. All right. So the investigation commences. Moscow police issue a statement identifying the four homicide victims. Um, The police say there's no one in custody, but they do not believe there is an ongoing community risk based on information gathered during their preliminary investigation. However, the police do say that an edge weapon, so a weapon with an edge, such as a knife, was used in the killing, um, and they do not have any suspects and have not found the murder weapon. However, they believe it's an isolated, targeted attack and that the community at large should remain vigilant and report anything suspicious to the police. Mm -hmm. The murders obviously make a huge impact on the town of Moscow, the university's often packed parking lots had a lot of empty spaces as students returned home and left the area. I mean, would you not have just peaced out? Oh, I cannot imagine. I mean, I feel like there's similarities to like Utah and Idaho, Utah, where we went to school. And like this, like rocked Provo. Like I would just be like, bye. Like, yeah, I'm never coming back. Like it Absolutely is not. so it's so horrific. Exactly. Um, Hoping for tips from the community, the investigators released a map and timeline of the victims' movements the last weekend. So the map shows the four students spent most of the night separated in pairs. The coroner on the case reported that she saw lots of blood on the wall when she arrived at the scene. She confirmed there were multiple stab wounds on each body, likely from the same weapon, but would not disclose how many wounds nor where they were located. The victims were likely killed in their sleep and had multiple stabbing and defensive wounds, according to the autopsies. I I do kind of wonder, I don't really think it's possible to be killed in your sleep, right? Like, I think the second that starts occurring, you're going to wake up, right? But is that the end of the idea? 
Like it's kind of over by the time you wake up. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, it's like really dark, but I think it's like, it's, it's, you're, it's too far gone by the time you're awake. Like you can't respond and really defend yourself in a meaningful way for lack of a better term. So sad. It's so horrifying. Yeah. Well, and I do think what's, um, I do think what's interesting is, and maybe I, I didn't see this in any of the reporting, but were they all in the same room or did he go from room to room? Room to room. Oh, he went, okay. That makes sense because I had imagined them all in the same room and I wondered why no one woke up. Okay. So I think the boyfriend and the girlfriend, uh, Ethan and Zana were in the same room, room, obviously. And then I think that the two girls were perhaps in different rooms or they shared a room. I don't gotcha. know for sure. I think I think they shared a room. Okay. So there's no signs of sexual assault. The FBI begin working on the case in order to field tips and create order in the investigation. Um, Moscow police said they looked extensively into information suggesting Kaylee had a stalker, but they had not been able to verify or identify anyone. They also release a list of people who they believe are not involved in the crime, including the two surviving roommates, a man in the grub truck surveillance video, that Mm -hmm. place where they stopped for food, the private party driver who took Kaylee and Madison home, the man Mm -hmm. Kaylee and Madison called numerous times the night they were killed, and any person at home when 911 was called. I do think it's interesting how quickly they ruled out the other roommates as suspects. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder what what evidence came to light and I don't have an answer at the end of this, but just like how they were instantly like, Oh no, the other two girls who were here didn't do this. I don't know. There must be some sort of forensic. I don't know. I I think, okay, this is my, with, with such a gruesome murder, right? Mm -hmm. I think that it's highly unlikely that one of the roommates could have done it and then just went back to their room. Right. Totally stayed in the house and gotten all the organic material off of them, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not a forensic investigator. So if anyone has any info on that, that would be interesting. Yeah. And like the other thing that, you know, I actually was talking to Kim about is that the stabbings and it's just gets so gruesome and graphic. So just like all of the warnings, but like, you know, to, to really stab people, it takes a lot of brute strength. And yes, the knife that was used was pretty big. And it's just like that, you know, I, honestly, you you just typically think that, you know, a female couldn't really do that, that that mm-hmm. would have to be someone with like, a, you know, male level strength. Mm-hmm. It's just biology. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's frustration with the Moscow police because there's conflicting and backtracking information about whether one of the victims was specifically targeted in an attack or if the mm-hmm. if this was a residence, the target was the residence. Yeah. So. On December 7th, finally, there's a break in the case. Almost a month into the investigation, investigators say they are interested in speaking with the occupant or occupants of a white 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra spotted near the crime scene around the time of the killings. Remind me again when this was, when when they were, would you say a month later? December 7th. Yeah. So roughly a month later. I want to return to that once we have more evidence, like from the affidavit. Remind me. Okay. Um, did you know December 7th is also Damien Rice's birthday? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Random. Thank Fo- you for that. Fact. Thank you for that. Wow. <laughs> Some great levity. Thank you, Lauren. Okay. In this moment. Uh, I had a hankering for that Irishman as a high schooler, everyone. Anyway, we're going to move forward. They know. They know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Investigators believe the occupants of the vehicle may have critical information to share regarding this case, says the police statement. So just an FYI, everyone, if you, I don't know why I'm like now saying this all the time, but if you ever commit a crime and the police put out a statement saying that they believe that you might have critical information, they actually might believe that you committed the crime. Right, right. And I think, too, what I had to remind myself of when I was impatient for the Moscow police to, you know, arrest somebody is that oftentimes the police know so much, but they cannot release anything for, you know, obviously they don't want to drive their suspect to, you know, flee or anything. And also, if they make any missteps in the way that they gather evidence, like the whole case can be blown up. Like it Mm -hmm. is in those like early stages where I feel like the defense will try to poke holes in everything and get evidence thrown out or whatever. And so, you know, you you almost have to have a lot more patience for police as they try to, you know, make the arrest in the most correct and methodical way. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things is at the time that they said, at the time they said they're looking for the occupant of that vehicle, they obviously didn't know who that ve- who who that occupant was, right? Otherwise, they would have not alerted the suspect to the fact that they were onto him. But mm-hmm. that meant that they were they were at the end of their the road in terms of information. And so they had to share it to the public um, because it had an unknown license plate. It didn't have a front license plate because it was, we'll find this out later, but it's a Pennsylvania car Mm -hmm. and they're not required to have front license plates. And so that's why they turned to the public for help. So this is what they say because they, they sense the frustration with the public that their people are annoyed that nothing is happening. It's a month later and all they have is a car um, occupant that they're looking for. Right, That's it. Right. So the police release the statement. They say, we're still 100% committed to solving this crime. We're not releasing specific details because we do not want to compromise this investigation. Mm-hmm. It's what we must do. We owe that to the families. We owe that to the victims. We want more than, we want more than just an arrest. We want a conviction. Yeah. So, right. you know, very much exactly what you said, Chandler. So then they also say, our analysts have spent hours sorting through and trying to come up with the come up with the most relevant tips first for the investigators to follow up on. They have re-interviewed some of the folks we've interviewed earlier in this investigation to clarify information. Everyone in Moscow should be aware of their surroundings. Avoid walking in dark places and walk in groups when possible. This is not an indication of a specific elevated risk, but something we should be vigilant with in our daily lives. He's, he's not wrong. Danger is literally everywhere. Yes, danger is everywhere. So the families of the victims also expressed frustration over the situation and how they learned that the murders had taken place. So one of the family members of the victim says, we were running around for hours just not knowing what was going on, what happened. We found out by people calling us and the sheriff showed up just three hours later. Yeah. That's like how they found out. Mm -hmm. Mm, that's, That's pretty brutal. Right. Police said they received 20,000 tips, 9,000 emails. I mean, around, you know, roughly, roughly 4,500 phone calls, 6,000 digital media submissions and conducted 300 interviews in the case. Mm. All right. So finally, on December 30th, there's an arrest. Brian Kohlberger, a 28-year-old man, um, was arrested in Pennsylvania's Pocono Mountains, that region. A SWAT team entered the location Koberger was staying in and took him into custody. He has been extradited back to Idaho where he will await his trial. So Brian Koberger, he is a PhD student. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's creepy that, you know, internet sleuths have uncovered is that he put out this 
strange Reddit survey a while back for people mm-hmm. who had committed crimes. Did you see this, Chandler? Well, so he's a PhD student in criminology, I'm pretty sure. Yes. And so I think, out- yeah, he put out that survey, but it like makes a little bit more sense when you realize that's like what he was studying. Yes. Until now, obviously. It does make sense, but it also is weird because the survey is like, how did you feel when you were about to c- commit your crime? I know. What I, did you do like, to cover your tracks? Right. And it's like, what person who's committed a crime is A, going to be trolling Reddit for surveys to answer, right. like giving evidence of crimes they've committed? Yeah. I think, too, it's it's weird. You can look at it under one light where it's like, you know, if we knew someone who was getting a PhD in criminology and they wanted to do like a survey to better understand the minds of criminals, you know, everyone's fascinated with true crime. It's true. There would be merit to like, you know, doing that type of research. Now you look back and you're like, wait, was he planning this all along? And was this his way of gleaning, you know, tips and advice? Well, I believe that it leans more towards the latter. So, yeah, in October, Chandler. So this is actually, did you know that you and Brian share a common love? A common How dare you? For Facebook Marketplace. Oh my gosh. He bought in October for $350 a Spyderco Warrior knife, which is believed to be the murder weapon. Obviously didn't want to pay full price. Chandler knows a little bit about that. I am so horrified by this uh, foreshadowing that I provided at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Woof. Okay, I'm getting fired. I should get fired. Brian appears to have stalked the victims before the killings mm-hmm. with his cell phone location matching up pinging cell towers near the victims on several occasions. Now near after, their house. you know, analyzing cell records. Yes. Yeah. So the critical break in the case was the white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra spotted by witnesses because it kept driving by the crime scene as well. So like after the fact? Yes, it kept it it drove by the crime scene. He went back up after the crime was committed. He drove all the way back up there that morning at like 9 or 10 a.m. Wait, you're joking. I didn't know that it, I thought it was all well obviously before, but I didn't know that it was after. Yes. He like revisited the crime scene. <gasps> Wait, wow. Wow, okay. So the critical part in the case and how this all links to Brian is that his DNA was found in the home of the murders. So new evidence was released on Thursday, January 5th. Among the new information is the recovery of a DNA sample from a leather knife sheath found in one of the victim's beds that appears to be a strong match for Brian, as well as a revelation that a roommate of the victims had been awoken during the night and saw a strange masked man exit the house. The two other roommates were not attacked. In an affidavit that was released, Moscow police said that one roommate identified in the document as DM was woken at approximately 4 a.m. by sounds coming from upstairs, including what she thought was her roommate Kaylee saying, there's someone here. Mm -hmm. DM looked out her bedroom door but didn't see anything, after which she heard more noises. She told investigators, crying, a male voice saying, it's okay, I'm going to help you. More voices, a loud thud, a dog barking. She opened her door again and saw this time a figure clad in black clothing and a mask walking toward her, the affidavit says. It was a male stranger, she said, describing him as 5 feet 10 inches, not very muscular but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. 
As she stood in frozen shock, the man walked past her toward the house's rear sliding door, after which the roommate locked herself in her room, investigators Mm -hmm. said. So question for you. Do you think that he saw her or he didn't see her? I don't know. I want to say that I don't think he saw her, but I also like maybe you're just in this state of adrenaline and crazy, you know, rush after all of that, that you kind of like block out, block out everything else. And you're just like trying to get out. But then again, I just also feel like I don't know where they were standing. Like, I don't know if she really was like obscured from him in any way. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I mean, I don't have any of this uncovered, so maybe you do, but there doesn't seem to be any motive or any information on why mm-hmm. he killed these four people. Right. So. Right. And is there any of that uncovered yet or no, am, am I missing I something? So. I don't know that they've established any type of prior, you know, connection to any of these people. Um, and then also like, you know, I do know that Madison, I think like there's some type of like prior situation with her thinking she had a stalker, but mm. that's not confirmed to be Brian or anything. And also, it doesn't really make sense because there were other, like, he's he somehow allegedly went to two different rooms to kill these, you know, sets of people, but then didn't kill everyone. You know, it's just, it seems so random. Well, he did. He killed everyone in the rooms he went into. Yeah, but not like the other two people in the house. Right. But I guess, yeah. I think the question is, is did he mean to kill everyone in the home? And I, I think right, that he I did know. not see her. I think she was standing in the dark. I think that he had was done with the murders. He had eagle eyes on getting the F out. Right. And he was yeah. just bolting towards the door. That is my inclination. Yeah. I do think this was a residence attack. Yeah. So investigators canvassed the area of King Road to collect video footage, which revealed the white sedan, the Hyundai Elantra, traveling toward the home around 3.30 a.m., making several passes by the house and then departing the area around 4.20 a.m. at a high speed. Security Mm -hmm. footage from the campus of Washington State University in Pullman, Washington, where Koberger is a graduate student, showed a similar white sedan headed in the direction of Moscow, about 15 miles away from the state line, shortly before 3 a.m., so that would track for Mm -hmm. the 3 a.m. 3.30 arrival, and then reappearing around 5.30 a.m. Yeah. On November 29th, a police search of vehicles registered to WSU students revealed a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra registered to Brian Koberger, originally with Pennsylvania plates that were later registered in Washington. So he redoes his registration. Yes. So this is how they get him. So after they identified Koberger as a possible suspect, police investigated his cell phone records, attempting to uncover whether his phone had pinged cell phone towers near the crime scene or on routes to and from it. An initial search showed that his phone did not, in fact, ping any cell phone towers near the crime scenes on November 13th, the date of the murders, between 3 and 5 a.m. But investigators noted that a lack of cell phone pings could be an effort to avoid alerting law enforcement of one's proximity to a crime scene, they said. Yeah. Because it didn't ping anywhere else either yeah you like could have turned it off could have put it on airplane mode exactly 
So expanding their search, authorities discovered that Koberger's phone pinged cell towers in Pullman around 2.47 a.m., consistent with the phone departing Koberger's residence and traveling south through Pullman toward Moscow, the affidavit Mm -hmm. says. And that was the last ping for about two hours. Then at 4.48 a.m., the phone appeared on the network again, pinging along highways south of Moscow, then west across the border into Washington State, and then back north toward Pullman, a timeline that aligns with security footage of the white Elantra, investigators noted. The disappearance of the phone from the network for two hours was consistent with an effort to conceal his location during the quadruple homicide. I'll just say, I think, too, it's suspicious that we don't... that. Uh, we don't have any record of where his phone was during that time, like him turning it off, even if he didn't, you know, like there's just that almost that omission of evidence is evidence. Well, and also why on earth are you driving towards this town, you know, at 2.47 a.m. and then back towards your home, you know, yeah. three hours later or right, two hours right. later at four right. something a.m. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Shouldn't you be asleep, Brian? Yep. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo, bros. Good job. So his cell phone also, this is another key part. His cell phone had pinged the towers in the area of the home where these students were murdered 12 times before the homicides, including as early as August 21st, the day before his clashes as a graduate student were set to begin in Washington State. Um, Most of the occasions were late at night or early in the morning. Um, The phone, so this is also, so listen to this. The phone also returned to the area of the crime scene around 9.15 a.m. on November 13th, about five hours after the stabbings. Insane. That's so eerie. So in mid-December, after the semester had at Washington State had come to an end. Koberger drives the Elantra back to his family's home in Pennsylvania, along with his father, who traveled to Washington so the two of them could make the long drive together. Investigators noted the evidence of the car's journey back to Pennsylvania, which was a license plate capture in Colorado and a traffic stop in Indiana. Chan, do you want to talk about this traffic stop? Yeah. So I first saw this traffic stop on TikTok because someone said, you know, they knew who he was all along and they, you know, they just wanted to get DNA evidence or they wanted to see how like his hands or something kind of like, you know, kind of a niche like that. And so I was like, whoa, that's crazy. They really did know who he was all along. But the more that I thought about it, because like they get like full body cam footage of him and his dad in this car, you know, and you can do all this extrapolation and he kind of looks a little nervous. His He says something, his dad tries to say something, Brian cuts him off, you know, obviously wants to do the talking with the police officer. Mm. And the more that I was thinking though about this, I'm like, how did, I just don't believe, you know, that I don't, I don't think that the police would have tried to like, just, you know, have this stop with him and then, you know, let him go again. Like, I just think that would have spooked him and alerted him to the fact that they were onto him. So actually the FBI denies that it ever told the Indiana police to call to pull him over so that was completely random but i think some people on tiktok were like oh no they were like you know this was intentional 
that's an interesting point and I think very astute. There's no way that they're going to try to tip him off, tip off, right. you know, a suspect that they're onto him by stopping him for traffic stops and then letting him off both times, which, which is and he was stopped twice and both times was let off after a brief polite conversation. So it, it's also interesting because, you know, he left town in that car, decided to take a road trip home mm-hmm. to Pennsylvania from Idaho or Washington, I guess. Washington? That seems crazy to me, but yeah. Um, that's where he lived, right? Pullman, Washington? He was a student in Pullman, Washington, but he clearly was a PhD student seemingly coming home for Christmas. His dad flies to Washington to help him do the long drive back to Pennsylvania. Right. Just doesn't make a lot of sense to do a road trip then. So I, I, in my f- opinion, it's like, you know, I'm trying to get the car out of the vicinity. Wait, sorry. I don't follow what you're saying at all. Because the police released that they were looking for the car. And I actually, even if, even if they hadn't released that by the time they drove home, like when did the road trip begin with him and his dad? Do you know that? Let's see here. Mid-December. So December 15th is when he's pulled over. So just around so then. So I guess what day did December 13th is when they said the person in the white Elantra, that's our person or that's like person of interest. Um, Chandler, please, yeah. please try to remember this. December 7th is Damien Rice's birthday. Sorry. And that I'm was so when. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was when. Then he got the hell out of there and was like, I'm driving my car back. I'm taking a road trip home. Like, oh, that's a okay. long way to drive. Saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, why wouldn't you just fly home for Christmas break or whatever? Also during the winter in a, you know, yeah, it's just, that's I mean, true. maybe this for some people, this isn't that long of a walk, but I think a, you know, sort of a cross country road trip, you know, for Christmas break. Okay. But where else do you hide a car? Let's just play this out for a second. So let's say Brian decides not smart for me to drive my car home. Where, where does he hide it? Right. And how does he tell his parents he's not bringing his car home? How does he say change of plans? I mean, whatever, let's say you can get that tackled. Where does he hide the car? Yeah. Who knows? I, I actually just think he was trying to take the car out of the state. It seems to me like actually the smartest thing to do because there's a lot of white Hyundai Elantras, okay? The smartest thing to do is actually to get it the F out rather than leave oh, yeah, it that's somewhere what I'm saying. near the... Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'm saying this was intentional by him. Gotcha, gotcha. But then didn't you say that it wasn't smart though to take it on a road trip when clearly people were looking for it? No, no, no. I mean, it's not not about taking it on a road trip. I just mean that doesn't make a lot of like logical sense for a normal person to do a road trip home across the country for Christmas break when typically you would just fly home for something like that. Right, right, right. Well, maybe he was That's moving what I'm home. Saying. Who knows? There's, there isn't information on that. Yeah. But I think that you're right. So the FBI did not know for sure that it was him. Um, they definitely did not alert Indiana police to do some spooks um, in terms of, you know, the pulling him over for the traffic stop. So this is where things start kind of clicking into place, right? So they know that he's a suspect, They know about the white Honda Elantra. They have his cell phone records. So with the volume of evidence, the roommate's description, the movement of the white Honda Elantra, and the cell phone data, all this evidence appears to point towards Koberger. Authorities Mm -hmm. in, with all this, authorities in Idaho enlisted the help of Pennsylvania police to collect a DNA sample to test against the one recovered from the button snap of a tan leather knife sheath found in the bed near the victim, one of the victim's bodies. So a note about this sheath. Yes. He he wore gloves during the crime. And I think 
somehow, and this is going to be a recurring theme, I don't understand how he's a you know criminal justice PhD candidate, but is pretty stupid as a criminal um, mm-hmm. because he doesn't realize that when he bought the knife originally, you know, when he probably handled it when he first got it, he has there's DNA on the sheath on the button snap, like you said from when he first got it. So it doesn't matter that he's wearing gloves when he commits the crime because there's like original DNA from, you know, days, weeks, months prior. Well, and also, you know, don't leave the sheath. That's oh, also that's, a thing. Oh, that's right? yeah, I mean, that's literally, yeah, it's like what? Like leave the sheath in the Elantra. Also, this is my question. What was the DNA evidence, right? Like was it a piece of skin? I'm so curious. Like well, it's just small... like fingerprints, right? Isn't it like fingerprints or like I guess DNA I just finger- don't know that much about DNA evidence, but basically yeah. is, is your DNA all over everything you touch or does it's it need to be like spit? Is it, no, does it need to is it hair? No, I think DNA evidence can literally be like fingerprints. No. Okay, let's look this yeah. up really quick. Okay. Let's solve this really quick. Okay. DNA evidence examples. Blood, semen, saliva, urine, feces, hair, teeth, bone, tissue, and cells. I mean, no, no, no. There's DNA fingerprints. It says... Let's see. A wide range of bio- uh, biological materials, including blood, soft tissue, saliva, et cetera, can be used as DNA sources. It has been proven that DNA can be obtained from even a single fingerprint. Oh, interesting. Wow. So, and I think too, like maybe, th- I think there was probably other DNA maybe at the crime scene besides just on the sheath, the, mm. the weapon, you know, accoutrement, as, mm-hmm. if you will, that maybe they they were able to cross check and like get, you know, multiple sources of DNA that like, you know, all were the same. Right, right. So on December 27th, police in Pennsylvania recover a sample from the trash outside the Koberger family residence in Albrightsville. The Idaho State Crime Lab determines that the sample found in the trash likely belongs to the biological father of the person who left DNA on the knife sheath, according to the affidavit. At least Mm -hmm. 99.9998% of the male population would be expected to be excluded from the possibility of being the suspect's biological father, the affidavit said. So basically, obviously, they get some DNA from the trash of this family. And uh, it's not Brian's DNA, but it's his dad's DNA. And that is a close enough match. So right. three days later, Pennsylvania police arrest Koberger. He was extradited to Idaho, where he's expected to appear in court this coming Thursday. And yep. in an interview with his lawyer, Jason Labar, the public defender said the suspect believes he is going to be exonerated. Okay. Woof. So Chandler, okay. give us your notes on this case. Okay, so I have a few other builds. This you did an excellent job though. This is said this has laid incredible groundwork. I just have a few things. Thank you. So some some more tidbits that are, you know, just add to the eeriness of this whole case. Um, for starters, Zana, who was Ethan's girlfriend, was allegedly, according to, you know, records from her phone and everything, she ordered DoorDash around three or four AM. Um, And according to her phone, she was on TikTok at 4 a.m., which kind of leads us to believe that she was probably awake, potentially eating or just scrolling when Brian entered the house, committed the crime. So crazy. So crazy. I mean, I have the chills just thinking about how many nights are you up super late? I mean, especially when you're in college, you're just awake doing whatever the hell you want because, you know, time isn't real. You don't have a job. Whatever. I don't need to go off on that tangent, but it's just like it's just such a classic, such classic college behavior. And then to be preyed upon in that moment is just horrific. Absolutely. It's horrifying. It's every every person's worst nightmare. 
the investigators really believe the murders happened within a 25 minute window. So things were happening. It wasn't just like, you know, everyone was asleep and that entire neighborhood was like dead. You know, like there were things happening, I guess. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, a college town, especially, especially a non BYU college town where people are really partying. Right. It's never really asleep. Well, and the house is like just a little bit up the road from like fraternity row, which is just like, you know, it's like everything's going all night long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to talk a little bit more about the roommate who, you know, saw allegedly Brian. Um, So she slept on the second floor and she told police that she opened her door three times that night. Okay. After waking up around 4 a.m. So the first time she woke up because she thought she heard Gonzalez or Goncalves, I don't know how you say it, Gonzalez, playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which was located on the floor above her. Okay. Okay. Then a short time later, she thought she heard that very same person saying something to the effect of there's someone here, which is so <sighs> eerie. You said this before, but I'm just trying to paint the picture of like the fact that this roommate was hearing things, mm-hmm. you know? And so they thought that... They thought it might actually have been like Xana's voice because, you know, it's her cell phone records showed that she was awake on TikTok at 412. The investigators believe the murder happened between 4 and 425. So mm-hmm. at, on, at 412, right in the middle of that time, you know, zone, they thought she was awake and she was on TikTok. Like just the most benign, like normal behavior, what all of us are doing. So then she told police that when she looked out her door that time, she did not see anything. When she opened her door a second time after hearing what she believed was crying coming from Xana's room, she heard a man's voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. It's according to the affidavit. So we don't know if that was Ethan or that was Brian. We don't know. So strange. She said that she opened her door for a third time after thinking that she heard crying and when like to be spooked enough where you hear loud enough noise that you look outside your door like that's that's loud you know that's not especially several the house is creaking yes yeah that's what also is so terrible and scary about this is because we've all had those moments in our house where we think we hear something and then it's like nope it's fine and like it's just it's just like it's so normal and human to like think you hear something and most of the time it's nothing but then the fact that in this case, it was something is just like right. so eerie and so terrifying. And yeah. So anyways, this, so then for this final time that she looked out her door, she told police she saw a figure, you know, clad in black clothing with a mask, a surgical mask, not like a ski mask or something where it would cover their face because she says that she could see the person's mouth because she could see that the person had bushy eyebrows, which is, you know, a, yeah, basically, you know, clear as day when you look at Brian. But yeah. I bet you it was one of those like scarf masks, those things that like people pull up over their nose. Like a lot of guys wore them back in back in the COVID yeah, days. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, totally. Anyway, totally. We're digressing. Um, it's almost it's honestly like uh one, like something you might wear when you're skiing, like a bib or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so then a few more details about Brian that I recently wait really quick. I want to say something about that roommate. Okay, so yeah, yeah. she witnesses him leaving at four a.m. Does not call. 911 until noon locks herself in her room until noon right very right. curious for your thoughts on why the delay because yeah. personally once i was once i was locked in my room i would call 911 immediately right i don't know i don't know i think that you know what sounds the most normal to me is really i don't think she was paralyzed in fear till noon I think Mm. she thought it was somebody leaving the house. I think she thought it was just like some random, you know, this is a college house. Keep in mind, people are coming and going. People are, you know, 
hooking up with people. You know, it's just like there's a lot of foot traffic for a lot of just yeah. like normal college reasons. And so I don't think that she I think she was maybe spooked by somebody by seeing someone, but I don't think she saw someone holding a knife or like it's not like she knew that something terrible had happened. And I think she, she did someone. know something terrible. Well, and maybe not terrible had happened, but she was scared enough that she didn't leave her room till noon and was paralyzed in fear. So it wasn't like she thought nothing had happened. And that's but that's where you lose me because I'm like, I mean, and I don't know. I thank goodness I've never been in one of these situations, but you know, I hope to God never to be, but like uh, the, the idea that you would be paralyzed in fear for that long. And then, you know, it's not like she woke up and says, I saw this. I mean, I don't know, maybe the more evidence will come to light, but I don't think she like ran to her roommates and said, I saw this guy, like something's happened, you know, when she came to, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think a lot more is going to come out mm. about this scenario, but it's, it's almost like, it's so hard for me to believe that like she let that there was somehow like eight hours that passed or whatever. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, more details will have to come out. Um, okay, tell us your details about Brian. A few more details about Brian that have kind of come to light if we've, as we've realized who this, you know, alleged murderer is. So according to his like professors, he was an exceptional student. And he, you know, they, they the one professor said, I'd only ever recommended two students to get for a PhD program. And he was one of them. Um, and then, you know, in speaking to employees and you know people who used to see him at a bar a local bar we start to see maybe a little bit more about the type of guy that brian was um he used to ask women who they were there with and where they lived he would ask very personal questions okay creepy one time when when an employee didn't want to answer his his personal questions he called her a bitch and then okay. there was even a note on his tab that was like said something like, watch out for this guy. He, he has one to two beers and then starts to get too comfortable. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You know, and so I th- I mean, you and I worked in a restaurant and I he's think a ne'er do well. He's a ne'er do well. But like you know, leaving note, leaving a note on someone's tab, I think was a pretty extreme measure. Like it was kind of like, sure. you know, everyone needs to be aware that this person is like, you know, not absolutely is not, not good, not a good actor. And then, you know, I'll just leave you with this final tidbit. Uh, because he is a vegan, the people at the jail are trying to are having to accommodate for his vegan lifestyle. You know who else is a vegan? Ghislaine Ew. Maxwell and <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed. So I've always said this. Vegans cannot be trusted. No, just kidding. Don't wanna I, mean, I don't wanna infuriate our vegan I listeners. Know. I was hesitant to even include this detail. I just think it's like kind of crazy and maybe this is ultimately a good thing but it's just like the, you know the people at the jail have to accommodate for do you know, they quadruple Do they have homicide. to accommodate for that apparently or at least they're tr- that's what i heard is that you know they're having to at least i don't know i think jail is also better than prison so i guess part I of my who- platform yeah should i ever run for president would be yeah all inmates don't get uh, i don't know there's a criminal justice reform actually i don't think i need to wait into those waters yeah i was that's what i was gonna say for University of Idaho, this guy, for Brian, no dietary restrictions, no preferences. Right. Give him the gruel. Tell him to shut up. This guy should not be getting, you know, the Erewhon version of jail food. Correct. That's all I like to Correct. say. Correct. Um, yeah. So anyways, I mean, I just think to those details about the bar that he frequented, you know, that just kind of reveals a little bit, you know, like it's just about the type of guy that he was and maybe the way he, you know. It had interactions with women and maybe the way he saw women. Yeah. Well, he's certainly an unsavory character and it will yeah. be very interesting to see this case unfold in terms of what the motive is, why he did this 
and you know why that roommate waited for so long you know the rest is still unwritten truly um and we'll be here reporting on the case i'm sure again updating everyone chandler thank you for your notes on brian i think you did a great job this episode I think you did a great job as well. This is, yeah, so terrible. And I'm excited to see this fucker in the slammer. Absolutely. Allegedly. <laughs> um, you guys, Excuse this, my week, French. this week on Patreon, we are going to be having, so if you, I don't know if you missed it, but we released part nine of our palace papers deep dive that was released on Friday. And then this upcoming Friday, we are going to have our reactions to Prince Harry's double mm-hmm. interviews, 60 Minutes and ITV. He also is going on Good Morning America. So we're oh going to be gosh. summing up our favorite quotes. We're going to be giving all of our hot takes. Sign up for Patreon. The link in the show notes. It's what keeps this podcast alive. And when you join, you get access to 100 plus bonus episodes, all the good stuff. Um, additionally, I will say this. So the tennis bracelet giveaway is back on. We are going to do that through February 15th and then it will be over. I swear. Sorry, everyone. We just are just finally getting kind of back to work after the new year. So you have about a month left to enter. Um, so to enter, all you do is shout us out on your Instagram stories, include a link to one of your favorite episodes on your story so your followers can click quickly tap the link listen to the show and you will be entered don't forget to tag us so we see it and we'll reply letting you know that you're confirmed entry and then again please don't say it's a giveaway only recommend it to your friends if you actually would and then um, if you don't want a tennis bracelet we're also just going to do $500 cash if that's your preference so that's all the housekeeping right and may I leave the uh, closing sentiment Please. Can I just say to everyone, blessings on your road. (laughs) Be well. (laughs) Be well. Bye. Bye. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week live every Wednesday. Bye.